It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Uh, happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Paul Dottino with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513, or hit us up on Twitter at hashtag GiantsChat after a very relaxed walkthrough-esque, no pads on practice on Thursday, Paul, we're back at it. I'm just making sure I know what day it is. We're back at it on Friday <laughs> with full pads on, and we were out there to watch it. We had some media availability, some news, a lot going on. And, Paul, this was the first day for me. I know fans might find this weird that I would say this because we've been at this now for probably about 10 or 11 days. Today was the first day where I really felt like training camp because it was hot. It was getting a little bit more humid. The sun was bright. We were all sweating out there. Today really felt like camp to me. And talking to some of the players after practice, this, I feel like, is the start of the dog days here as we approach that first preseason game and those joint practices in Cleveland. I would agree with you, John. And, you know, when we first started this thing, uh, some oh, it was only what, what are you gonna, a week and a half ago, it seems like it was longer. Uh, earlier in the month, we had some 95-degree days with a heat index in North Jersey of 103 and 104. So oh, June was right. June and early July was ridiculously hot. Okay, so mm-hmm. I think I think for people around the country who, and I know we have a lot of fans around the United States who aren't here, they may not understand that it was excruciatingly uncomfortable here in North Jersey during the latter portion of June and the first part of July. Which you love, by the way. I do not. Well, uh, I like it a little better than you do. I won't say that I love it, but I do like it a little bit more than you do. And Tom Coughlin used to love that. So did Bill Parcells. Because for conditioning purposes, you really want to sweat it out of the guys. Now, on the flip side to that, within the last two weeks or so, the humidity totally disappeared. The temperatures went down into the low 80s. And it's been marvelous. Dude, try low 70s on Even, a couple of these days. It sure did. It sure did. And then today that humidity started creeping back up. So in any event, I think the good news was I only saw two players who looked exhausted and potentially dehydrated when they left the field. I don't want to speculate other than to say from the eyewitness uh, account that I saw, they were exhausted. And that would have been um, uh, Odenabo. At the end of practice, he looked really, really beaten and had to, uh, you know, take his time as he went inside to the locker room. And I believe it was uh, Raymond Johnson, the defensive lineman, who had to leave a little early, again, walking with the trainers slowly and looking like he really needed a nap very, very badly because he was gassed. Uh, But to say that you got 90 guys out there and only two guys seemed as though they were you know, dehydrated or overheated, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, and it's supposed to get worse next week, so that'll be a good preparation here as we get ready for games and the regular season to get these guys into football shape, which is exactly what you need when you're playing these warm games in September against, you know, it's on September 12th against the Broncos at 425 on a Sunday. It could be 85 degrees. It could be 90 degrees. Who knows? <laughs> so that's how you get ready 
for these types of games uh, for the National Football League. All right, Paul, we'll talk about practice in a little bit, but first we should touch on uh, the news of the day. It broke this morning. Zach Fulton, who was an offensive line addition for the Giants this offseason, coming over from Houston. Over 60, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have the number in front of me. NFL starts on his leisure. Right. He was supposed to be that backstop at the guard spot where if the young guys don't aren't where you want them to be, you can slide in the veteran that has the experience, and he'd be able to slide in there and play. And he decided to retire. He decided that you know he has his kids back in Texas. Among other factors, he decided that he didn't want to play anymore. We saw that with Todd Davis. We saw that with Joe Looney. And then we also saw that uh, two, I think those are the three, right, Paul? I'm not missing anybody else. Well, Benjamin oh, earlier. That's right. And Kelvin Benjamin. You know. Thank you very much. Those, but, I think those circumstances were a little bit different. But, yes. So it was just kind of another retirement here. And really, I'm not going to say they're short now inside because Shane Lemieux working his way back in to the lineup more and more. But with Looney and now Fulton no longer being here, they might have to add somebody a guard here to try and reinforce that position a little bit. Yeah, I understand the point, John, and I think it's also important to note that uh, Coach Judge did say that some guys, in referring to Fulton, he didn't want to go into details so much. Well, Paul, Paul I have the cut, by the way, so if you want me to play it, I can play it. Please do. Okay, so here's Joe Judge when he was asked about uh, Zach Fulton, and he kind of turned it into a longer answer about all the guys that have kind of, you know, decided to retire over the past week or so. It's long. He went on for like three minutes and 55 seconds, but I think it's a good three minutes and 55 seconds. So here's Joe Judge talking about those retirements so we have some context for how the players and the Giants handled them. No, I had a good conversation with Zach last night. He talked with me, Rob, Flats, um, Jason, um, Dave, a few other people in the organization. You know, I would say specifically the Jack, uh, Zach situation, uh, look, Zach was doing a good job for us. He's a guy I don't want to see go. However, I respect his decision. I'll let him speak completely for himself. I would say that, you know, a lot of these older vets, you know, they're at a different point in their life with different things. Zach's a guy who started business in the offseason. He just had his son. Um, you know, his family's down in Texas. It's an opportunity for him to get back. You know, we talked a lot about just the duration of a career and different things. And, you know, without going into everything, I mean, look, he indicated to us, you know, hey, listen, coming out of, you know, where he was last year, you know, your body's in a different point than it is when you're younger in your career. And you get the point to see, do I think I have it for 16 games? And we have to respect when these guys look us in the eye and say, listen, I really wanted to see if I could push through it, but, you know, I don't think my body's at that point anymore. And you can leave at this point in the game with your health. I'd say all three situations are different. Everyone has a different personal circumstance. I respect all three. We've left the door open for all three. These are three good guys who worked hard for us. Listen, I can't, I can't tell you how much respect I have for the players who come out and work hard for us. Uh, I know this is a demanding place. I know this is a place that we're going to work them. We're smart about how we work our players, right? Calculate it. But at the same time, we have to push our players and train them that when they go on the field, number one, they're safe. Number two, they can play effectively. It's our job to help these players produce on the field and put them in position. So it's training camp. There's you know different things that come up along with it. But I think in terms of these three vets, uh, look, it's not unique to the league. I know there's been several vets that have retired. This is not unique to this year. One thing I'd say that is a little different this year than previous years is there's more people that you call that are you know on the street trying to get into camps normally where the agents have indicated that they're done playing football. I'd say these are guys at varying ages, but mostly guys that say above, call it six years in the league. When you call these guys this time of year normally, everyone's training, waiting, ready to get into training camp. This has just been a different year. You know, it's, it's our job to always know who's available. That's why we talk about having constant tryouts, going through the personnel, knowing who's available in the league. You never know what happens on your roster, other rosters. That's our, you know, due diligence we have to keep on. But in terms of dealing with like vets who make decisions like this, the biggest thing is you have to understand 
you got to respect him as a person first. Okay, and as you look at your roster, and sometimes you don't want to see any of those players walk out, when we sit down, you have an honest conversation, you don't really talk much about football. You talk about family. You talk about their experience in the league. You talk about what they want to do long-term in their life. You talk about a lot of different things. You know, I've offered, you know, every one of these players an opportunity to actually take a couple days and think about it before making a you know, career-deciding decision. You know, each one of them had already told me that, hey, listen, this is something that they've been thinking about throughout the entire process of before they came here or they thinking about the entire process leading into training camp throughout the summer. These are natural thoughts to have, you know. I appreciate everything they've done for the team. They all worked hard for us. I don't want to see any one of them go. We left the door open for all three based on circumstances that if something were to happen and they could return, we had room for them. I'd welcome all three of them back. I really would. You know, these are guys we obviously brought into our program because we thought they could help the team. They're three good dudes. I'll tell you right now, all three of them are good dudes. And the short exposure I had, you know, with Todd and Joe, I mean, these guys instantly, you know, you could see in the locker room that they made an impact on guys around them. So you appreciate all that stuff about him. You know, Zach's been with us through the spring. He's a guy that's been great in meetings. He's an older guy. You know, when you sit down, you have actual conversations with them, and you really kind of get deeper, and you, you put football aside and just talk about family and, and interests and things going on. You know, you really see the depths of the person. You know, and you got to take the helmet off sometimes. We come out here, it's all ball in the field. But, you know, we're working with people. It's a people business. Okay, we got to make sure I talk all the time about knowing the people. So, you know, I can't turn around and ask someone to give me their all and tell them that we're going to always have their back. And when they make a decision that's best for them and their family, turn around and think slight of them. Okay, I respect the decision they made with the player. I respect every day they come out here and work for us. So when they make a decision that they have to go a different path of life, then that's it. We support them. Anything that the future that comes up with them, we'll always be here for them. And, Paul, I thought that was just a really good answer. I know it was long, probably longer than it had to be, but I thought it was important to kind of get the context there yeah. where you can tell how Joe Judge and the organization is just as concerned about these guys on the field as they are off the field. And – all that matters, and if these guys have been thinking about this and, and want to make this decision, they can. The Giants even offered them a couple of days to think about it if they wanted to come back. They're, the door is still open if they want to come back. So I just think that there's probably a perception out there about these things and, and why they're happening, and I, I just don't think that perception is, is probably accurate. So I thought it was important to play that for people to hear. I agree with you, John, and I think there are a couple of things you, you want to keep in mind when you're talking about Fulton. The guy has played seven full years in the National Football League, and he's approaching 30 years old in September. As you said, uh, 90 career starts, okay? He's, he's had a lot of wear and tear on his tires. And as you heard Judge refer to, uh, Fulton mentioned that his body wasn't in the same place that it was last year. Well, you know, this game is rough. And if you're not 100% committed... It is a dangerous game, and you could not only endanger your own safety, but the safety of your teammates if you are not all in. So if, if your mind's not there and your body is not there, get off the field. Do the smart thing. Get off the field. So I, I admire and respect Fulton for his decision. His decision seems to be a little bit more regarding that than the family stuff that we heard with a couple of the other players. Uh, and so that's fine. And I would add this, too, John. You know, when you look at the the guys on the street, and Judge said the guys who are of six-plus years' experience in the league, and a lot of those guys don't seem to want to come back and play, well, look at it this way. There's been a pandemic going on for the last year and a half. Is it any wonder that maybe some guys who used to want to milk a little more juice out of that orange have decided that, you know, given today's circumstances, 
I don't want to deal with little beeping chiclet devices hanging around my neck. I don't want to deal with wearing a mask, or I don't want to deal with, you know, getting involved with this stuff. Which, anymore. by the way, you could hear those chiclet devices during the press conference. For the people that wonder, what's that? That's what it is. That, 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 that's what that is. When you get too close to somebody. And, you know, is it any wonder that a guy who's been in the league six, seven, eight, nine years has said to himself, you know what, even if I could play a little, I'm fed up with these circumstances. I don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. And and they just decide they're done. And that's fine. So he that's why he was indicating that the guys on the street, the free agents who are available, a lot of them simply don't want to play. I suspect that David DeCastro of the Steelers, who, as we know, is a very high-quality lineman, had an ankle injury last year and decided to ask for his release from Pittsburgh. Well, when that happened last month, the Steelers pretty much indicated that he just decided that he was done. He just didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, so, so this is apparently a lot more common today, this year, than it has been in years past. So if people are trying to think about, well, what should the Giants do at the moment? Uh, they've got young guys in there who got a lot of extra snaps uh, today. Certainly Murphy and Heggie both got a lot of extra snaps on the interior line. Kenny Wiggins still in that Wiggins one is in the mix. Too. Yep. Jake Burton is also going to be in that mix. So is Chad Slade. And, you know, look, thank goodness that Jonathan Harrison uh, came off the inactive list a few days ago. Yeah. Because right now he's the backup center, and they badly need his veteran experience. No question about it. A couple other topics, Paul, we should get to just in regards to practice today. I thought it was a great day for the defense. They were getting their hands on the football all over the place. We had a bunch of interceptions. Uh, I'll go through my practice notes here. Rodarius Williams had one undercutting um, a route over the middle on a crossing pattern. I thought he made a really nice play on that ball. You had a deflection for an interception. I, did that go to Milton? Do I have that remembering that properly, Paul, as um, I go through my um, notes here? I'm looking at my notes, too. Yes, it was. Yes. Um, I thought the defensive line was actually really, really strong. Jabril Peppers caught an interception on a deflection by Rodarius Williams, who has been a little noisy these last couple of days in camp. You know, usually when you're mentioning a DB's name, it doesn't. it's not a great thing for them. But it has been for him because he's making plays. He's not getting beat. So And he's getting better every day. Today was his best day. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was just a really nice day for the secondary. And I thought, frankly, and it's hard to tell from our vantage point, I thought I saw some pretty consistent pressure on the quarterback from the defensive front as well. So uh, it was a big-time practice for the defense. And the offense will get one more shot tomorrow. My guess is that tomorrow is going to be a pretty heavy-duty physical practice because they're off on Sunday. And then they'll be back at it next week as they get ready for that Jets preseason game. Exactly, John. And the other thing that I think we should probably mention is that Coach Judge pretty much hinted but didn't come out and say it that the first preseason game against the Jets, you will see a lot of the young guys as he tries to give them an opportunity to get meaningful snaps and try to work their yeah. way onto the roster. So, And he said basically there's no, there's really no fourth preseason game anymore, so this yeah. is when the young guys have to get their time. A great point, Paul. And he has to make cuts after that first game, so he wants to make sure he gives everyone a fair shot. Yeah, that's the first indication that we've gotten from him as to what he would plan to do with his player deployment. Yeah. No, yeah, and I thought it was telling. Great, great point bringing that up. I'm with you with that 100%. Uh, the other position I want to ask you about before we get to the calls again, it's 201-939-4513. We have some open lines if you want to get in, talk some Giants football. The edge position, Paul, that pass rusher spot, it is slim pickings there right now. I'm whipping out my roster here. You know, O'Shane Zimenez still isn't back yet. Ryan Anderson still not back yet. 
Lorenzo Carter's been on the side for a while here. So you're and they've moving Carter Coffin and Cam Brown inside a lot more, so they're not on the edge quite as much. And you're really down. Look, it's great snaps for Aziz Ojolari. Uh Afadio Denebo's getting a lot of snaps out there. We've seen Trent Harris get some pass rush snaps out there. But right now, they're just and I don't think Ellison Smith is doing anything yet either, correct? I think he's still on the side, right? Correct. So you're really down to a handful of guys here in a position room that we joked all offseason long. They had like eight or nine guys in there to compete for a couple of spots. And all of a sudden, it's short. Well, I mean, John, unfortunately, such is the nature of training camp. <laughs> you know, I mean, you just never know what's going to happen. And, you know, everybody talks about, well, you, you have too many receivers. Well, you have too many linebackers. Well, you have too many cornerbacks. Why? Why did Gettleman add another two or three guys? You know, remember just about a couple of months ago when it seemed like every day the Giants were adding another guy? And people were like, this is crazy. Why Why does Gettleman keep you know, throwing guys onto the pile? Why does he keep fattening up the roster? He, he's got a bunch of guys already. He, he knows what he's got. No, 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 no. You just don't know, especially when then guys come in and you find out they got to go on the non-football injury list or the PUP list. And now you got six, seven, eight guys who can't start working at the beginning of camp. And now you really needed those other players to just try to run a practice. Yeah. So I think that's a spot to keep an eye on here, especially as you head towards that first preseason game. You know, we're looking forward to a big competition, Paul, to see who's going to get playing time this year. Might just be who's the last man standing at this point with oh all these my. guys that are bagged up. So... But it is really a great opportunity for Aziz Ojolari. Unfortunately, they do those pass rush one-on-one drills all the way. Like We're talking like 120 yards away from us behind other drills, so it's really hard to see what's going on during those. But it's a lot of good opportunities for him to get work in some of those drills and in some of these team drills as well. Can I add also, John, now yep. you know today um, we had a chance to, to see a bunch of media. Actually, it was yesterday when Brian Baldinger from NFL Network came out to practice, and we will have that huddle at some point soon. Where Next I, Wednesday it should be airing. All right, when I discuss things with him about what he has seen, he gave us some great analysis, broke down mostly offense and the offensive line, but we got into other areas of the team as well. But what I wanted to point out to you was he was thinking that old Jalari is going going to be that guy who steps up and becomes the second part of the dynamic duo pass rusher to Leonard Williams. He really likes old Jalari a lot and was very impressed at how the Giants were deploying him during the early practice sessions. And look, I don't think we're telling anybody any secrets. He's an outside edge rushing linebacker. He's going to be standing up and to say that he's staying in one spot would be a lie because he is moving around. And he's getting a lot of work. And when I say a lot of work, I mean a lot of work. Some out of necessity because some of the other guys aren't available. But when you see the situations and the schemes and where he's working and how he's working, I think it's safe to say the Giants are putting a lot more on his plate than maybe somebody might expect. Yeah, because they've been forced to. <laughs> I mean, there's no one else out there. But, yeah. But, look, he's going to be a guy that rushes off the edge more often than not. You know, you can stand him up rushing from other spots. But... That's, I think, what he's going to be asked to do a lot early on. And, look, the track record for non-top-five-pick pass rushers in the NFL draft as rookies is not a great history. It, it takes these guys a while to get going usually, so we'll see how quickly when he gets into games against other teams and other players exactly how much 
he can do. All right, let's get to the phones, Paul. We got 40 minutes. Let's get a lot of calls in. We still have, I think, one open line over there at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Limited Giants season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. All right, let's go to the phones, Paul. Terrence in New Jersey has been waiting the longest. Terrence, what's up? Hey, how you guys doing? I'm a long-time listener. Listen to it every day, your show. Wow, and, thank uh, you. Thank you, Terrence. I, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, you know, it's uh, my birthday month, uh, the 25th of August. Uh, it's my grandpa's birthday as well, who uh, passed, but uh, he was a big Giants fan. My dad's a big Giants fan. And uh, I got to tell you guys, this, this is the year where I really feel that you know, everybody's looking down on us with our acquisitions and, and, and our coaching and the culture. I really feel that the Giants are the most complete team in the East. Bar none. I, I really feel that. I think balanced uh, I think balanced offense and defense, Terrence, I think you have a good point. Because look, Dallas is really swayed to the offense, Washington's really swayed to the defense. I think balance wise, I think the Giants are probably balance offense and defense better than any other team in the division. And frankly, from my perspective, this is the first time really since 2017 going into the year, I feel like the team has a real legitimate chance to win the division. Mm-hmm. I agree. Right. And, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Terrence. We're good. Uh, yeah, real quick. I know, um, like you said, 17. Uh, but this this team is much more – is younger. Uh, it's a – I think that's a phone connection. Hey, Terrence, I, yeah. Terrence, we're losing you. Do me oh. a favor. All right, are you back, Terrence? I'm here. I'm, do you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think your phone connection dropped out a little bit, but I can hear you now. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I think uh, other than uh, 2017, this, this, uh, this team's younger, and uh, I feel that everybody is brought in. Uh, one, one question, though. I was talking to a friend of mine about this. This Washington love, I don't get. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick Everyone's acting like he's the savior. My thing is, if we signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, would they be saying the same thing about the Giants? <laughs> no. No, you, you know what's funny? Fitzpatrick, 17 years in the NFL, right? Do you know how many playoff right. games he's been involved in? As many as Daniel Jones. Exactly. That would be zero. zero. <laughs> yep. His best season was 2015 when he was the starter with the Jets, and he had a career year. With a team that had a sensational top five defense, which is what the Washington Red team has, and they went ten and six. I would submit to you, and again, now it's twenty fifteen and this is twenty twenty one, and he's now going on what, thirty nine years old? I would submit to you right. that Ryan Fitzpatrick has seen his career year come and go. And you cannot expect him to do anything better than that. I think the high water mark for Washington is nine wins. And I think that may or may not scratch them in as a wild card. But I like the Giants as a double-digit win team, although I don't really like to make those projections until the 53-man rosters are in. But I just, right. I just don't see anybody else being able to challenge those two teams because they by far have the two best defenses in the division. And that, to right, me, right. puts a line of delineation between them and the other two clubs. Yeah, I will say this. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I agree with you, Terrence, that I, I don't 
quite understand. Like, I think my, I was on a show the other day for our a radio affiliate up there in Syracuse, and they played a cut from Mike Greenberg for me. Uh, I guess he was on his show in the morning, whatever he does there for ESPN Radio. And he basically said that, look, I, you know, I think the Giants can be sneaky good this year. They can make the playoffs. Look, I still think Washington's head and shoulders above them. And I'm like, what? Well, I, I don't, I don't yeah. get that perspective. And that's why I think, and I know Paul and I are in a disagreement on this, I think the biggest threat to the division is still Dallas because I know their offense is going to be not just good. I'm pretty darn sure their offense is going to be great. And if their defense can just get okay – I think they could be a 10-win team also. So that's why I think Dallas is still the bigger threat. Of course, they have to stay healthy for their offense to be great. We'll see if they can do that, especially on the offensive line, which is no sure thing. But that's why I think Dallas is a bigger threat than Washington because I think Washington has a pretty hard ceiling on what their offense can be. Like if Washington's a top 12 offense this year, I will be blown away, shocked, faint in my chair, surprised. But, like, would it shock me if Dallas got to, like, 21st in defense and was, like, the fourth-best offense? No, that that wouldn't surprise me. And I think that's probably good enough to win close to 10. And, by the way, let me throw something else at you, too. You know, I'm really tired of hearing about how Daniel Jones is Mr. Turnover when he cleaned those up during the second half of last season. And, oh, by the way, for Ryan Fitzpatrick's career. <laughs> oh, you know where I'm going, John? I do. Do you know where I'm going? Yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick has a higher interception percentage than Daniel Jones has for his career and has 252 fumbles and interceptions in 165 career games. So why is well, he I- getting the free pass? I don't know. It's like people do not watch the game. I don't, they, I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's like they say, Daniel Jones. He threw one interception and it came off the hands of Evan Ingram, and it was the last game of the year. It was like last six games. He, he didn't throw an interception. Like Daniel Jones had the longest streak of consecutive passes without an interception in the league going into the finale when Ingram tipped that ball up and it was picked by the Cowboys. But it's amazing how conveniently how conveniently people either have amnesia and forget it or are just too dumb to realize it. I'm not sure. Right. right. Well, I'll let you guys go, but on this note, I'm in Philadelphia country. I want to sweep that team. I don't care what it takes. Sweet the Eagles. Let's go, Giants. Thank you, Terrence. Good call. You got Paul riled up there, too. Paul was getting pumped. Well, I mean, John, I'm, I'm just – I'm listening to people talk about Fitzpatrick going to Washington, and you'd swear that they just acquired Sonny Jurgensen. Well, Paul, I've been making that argument for months. That's why I don't think they're the biggest threat in the division. I agree with you on that. I, I, I agree. Fitzpatrick is fine. One week he's going to throw four touchdowns and throw for 350, but the next week he's going to throw three picks and throw for 175 and lose the game for you. So that's what he's always been. I mean, last year – in nine games, he threw eight, eight interceptions. The year before, he had 13 starts, threw 13 interceptions. Exactly. The year before, seven starts, eight games, 12 interceptions. So, yeah, I'm I with mean, you. No, <laughs> well, look, I, I agree. Ryan, Fitz, look, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a great stopgap quarterback, right? He's a good guy. You can sure slide in there while you're figuring out what you're trying to do. And that's okay. And I think he's an upgrade from what they had last year. And, by the way, let's see if Tyler Henneke can beat him out in the competition, by the way. That's Ron Rivera's called that an open competition down there. Mm-hmm. And, and Henneke actually played pretty well in that playoff game last year. 
So let's see how that goes first, number one. But look, I'm with you. I mean, is Fitzpatrick better than what they were throwing out there last year? I mean, probably, though I don't want to take that much away from what Alex Smith did the second half of the year. I thought he had some pretty good games. But, yeah, look, like I said, if Washington somehow manages like a top 12 offense this year, I will be fall off my chair surprised. I'm with you. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. We do have a couple open lines if you want to get in. We could talk some Giants football. John in Staten Island is up next. What's up, Johnny? Hey, uh, guys, uh, two things. One, uh, the show you did the other day with Jeff Beagles when he was talking about getting kicked in the hand uh, <laughs> and teaching us about holding has to has to be one of the top ten shows that you've ever done. That was just great. Oh, John, I, Jeff no, Beagles no, is such... John, I appreciate that. I was worried when we finished that show that it was a little bit too off the wall and goofy, but I had fun doing it, and I'm happy that, that you guys enjoyed it as well. It's like being in the backyard, you know, talking with your friends over a beer. It's really, it really was a great show. See now, um, see now, and you know what happened because Lance doesn't have friends to have beers with, so that's how you know we were able to do a show like that because he wasn't on it. Hello. That's right. <laughs> Go ahead. So I'm sorry. I, I, I do. I do want to talk. I do want to talk about Daniel Jones for a second today. Last last summer, I I, I called and I spoke to you and. And we kind of agreed that if Daniel Jones could cut his uh, turnovers in half, that that would be a relatively successful season for him. And he did that. And uh, and we saw in the second half of the season, where in the first half of the season, he was failing to throw the ball away and he was uh, failing to take a sack and live to fight another down. In the second half of the season, he really got much better at that. Um, but one of the things that, I don't know if he worked on that I think is, to me, a a big weakness of his is if you watch Russell Wilson and and Patrick Mahomes, and I I get it that they're the elite quarterbacks in the league, they never seem to get hit when they run. And Daniel Jones seems to me, so my question is this, do you know that if he worked on sliding or avoiding hits in traffic, over the course of the over the course of the winter, I don't know if he worked on it. Uh, if you listen to the yesterday's show, this is something Jeff and I talked about a lot, John, yesterday, and I agree. That's why I don't mind him leaving him as part of the running game, but I just think he has to do a better job of, of avoiding that contact. You know, you mentioned Wilson and Mahomes, but like Kyler Murray never gets hit; just gets out of the way. Really? Paul, your thoughts? I think it would probably be a good idea for a number of these running quarterbacks, and Daniel Jones is a pseudo-running quarterback, doesn't do it as much as some others, but he probably does it too much for my liking. But I would agree with you. Well, he runs at all, which is too much for your liking. So. Yeah, really. <laughs> I, I, I do think, in reality, it wouldn't be a bad idea for that group of passers to take baseball lessons in sliding. And I'm not joking. Really? Eli, look. Do you remember the time that Eli Manning in Philadelphia at the link, you know, wound up giving himself up, but because he went down face first and then got hit and fumbled the ball. Paul, we, we, Jeff they, and I talked to the exact, the exact play yesterday. They so called it a fumble. Yeah, but it was. It was a fumble. Because they said he right. didn't slide face uh, feet first. Therefore, technically, he was not giving himself up. He was trying to advance the ball. And as a result, the Giants were charged with a fumble, and it helped them lose a game. So I do think there's something to be said to have these quarterbacks taught by a baseball instructor about, hey, 
how do you slide properly? What, what's so bad about that and, if you're going to increase the quarterback's safety? And it's funny, Paul. I remembered yesterday something about Joe Girardi going somewhere to teach somebody how to slide. And I'm like, I don't think it was the Giants. And Pearson did a good job finding it for us. And he had actually went to the Jets facility with Rex Ryan to work on sliding with some of the Jets players. And, did he? And yes, he did. I remember this because then after the Eli play against Philly, they were like, well, maybe Joe Girardi should go teach Eli Manning how to slide at the Giants facility. So this is something that actually has happened before. It was, and let's it was make Mark it very Sanchez. clear. Mark Sanchez that he was helping. Yeah, it was Sanchez that he helped, exactly. Well, well maybe he could help Sanchez hand off the football, too. But in <laughs> any event, you know, here's the thing. You've got these quarterbacks going to arm gurus and baseball throwing specialists to kind of enhance their ability to throw the football. Oh, by the way. Why not go to a sliding specialist? Not for nothing. I mean, look, Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray played, played college baseball, right? So that's probably second sure. nature to them. Sure. I mean, I'm sure Daniel Jones played baseball as a kid. You don't think he knows how to slide? It's not teaching them how to slide. It's convincing them to slide. That's the problem. Well, Daniel Jones is so Gosh darn competitive, Paul, that he wants to get every extra inch and yard. And this is the point I made with Jeff yesterday. If you're running on first and 10 and you want to try to get eight yards instead of six yards and dive for that, that's stupid. Don't do that. All right? If it's like third and three and you're diving for a first down, all right, I get it. But I think he just has to be a little bit less competitive and slide and protect himself rather than trying to gain those extra couple of yards. And it's worth it not not to do that. Yeah, I do think there's something to that mentality, John, but I'm not going to assume that he really does know how to slide until I find out for sure. I, I know Eli, out. Eli did not know how to slide. He did not. He really did not know how to do it. And if you know his whole career, I never saw him execute a perfect feet first slide. And that's a long career he had. So, but anyway, I, I it's a great it's a great question and a great thing to bring up. I uh, and I'm not only talking about when when he's running, you know, when they're calling a running play. I'm talking about when the pocket starts to break down and he starts moving out of the pocket. I do think I do re- seem to remember last year, uh, Daniel Jones. I don't remember the game. I've seen most of the games two or three times by now. I don't remember the game, but he ran kind of up the middle, and he did slide, but he folded one of his legs back under him. And I said to myself, oh, my God, he's out for the season. Um, so, and- Hence, why not get get in touch with a baseball guy, learn the proper techniques, and then put it into practice? Yeah, I, and I, and I don't think it's just – we're talking about sliding, but I don't think it's just sliding. I think it's hit avoidance. I mean, some guys, and there have been running backs like this throughout the years, that you never really seem, the defense never really seemed to get a good lick at them. They always were managed to take a glancing blow or, or move in such a way that they went down in a more controlled environment. Um, and with, with Joe Judge being as as picky youn on every other little aspect of football i i just i can't it, it's odd to me that that this hasn't come up in a press conference yeah i mean i think it's probably because and john thanks for the call we haven't seen him really get walloped yet right on one of these runs where he gets like obliterated and then people are like boy why isn't he sliding because people wait until you get the obvious thing 
right, before they start complaining about it. They shouldn't, but that's just kind of the way the world works mm-hmm. with things like this. So that's probably why we haven't heard about it yet is my guess. I agree with you, John, uh, because, you know, that requires a lot of thought and insight, and there are many oh, people geez, in our business stop. that just don't have that. You just can't help yourself, guys. Well, it is what it is. <laughs> it's funny, though. This is something that Jeff and I talked a little bit about yesterday. So, you know, look, uh, I think – Keeping the read option as part of the running game is legitimately helpful. I think it benefits the team. It benefits the running attack. I don't want to take that out. But I also want to keep the quarterback healthy. So to me, he needs to just do a better job. And look, I don't, you don't see many quarterbacks behind the line of scrimmage sliding to you know, avoid sacks because they're trying to either you know, extend the play to make a play or you run out of bounds or you throw it away. You know, so I don't know about sliding when you're trying to avoid pressure. That's not generally how this stuff works and what quarterbacks generally do. Look, there are ways to reduce the severity of contact without sliding at the same time. You know, there are guys that have been good at that for a long time. Eli Manning, you know, why do you think he never got hurt in the pocket sometimes? You know, people complain that, you know, sometimes Paul, he like throw off his back foot and things like that. Well, why do you think he was able to stay healthy all this time? Because He, he knew was, how to fold. Well, yeah, he knew how to reduce the impact of the hit by, you know, kind of swaying away from where the contact was coming and, and things like that. So, you know, that's why we jokingly called him Gumby all the time, right? Because yeah. he would bend and bend but not break because he knew how to kind of accept some of that contact. So I think those are some of the things that Daniel Jones has to get better at. And it's funny. I talked to Chris Sims, that huddle podcast. It should be on the top of your feed right now. It posted on Wednesday night, Thursday morning, something like that. And he talked about, actually, in that podcast, Paul, how some of the best quarterbacks in the league, because I asked him, you know, he mentioned how Daniel, he thinks he should get rid of the ball a little bit quicker, and I asked him, you know, how can you know, can a quarterback practice pocket presence? How do you get better at that? And he talked about, look, he said you can practice it, because if you look at a guy like, he mentioned Mahomes and Josh Allen, I think, specifically. You know, after their second read, their eyes drop and look at the pass rush. And then they decide, well, do I have to start moving around here in order to buy more time to make a play? Can I sit here longer? And he thinks that Daniel Jones could do a better job of after that second read or so or having that you know internal clock go off a little bit sooner to check, see where the pass rush is, and then you can make better decisions with the football and be more aware of the rush itself. He pointed out that it's actually a good thing that he's not spooked by the rush, that he's willing to keep his eyes down the field, willing mm-hmm. to take hits, but he thinks it's better for him and the team if after the you know a certain amount of time or a couple reads, however you want to look at it, that you go, take a look at the rush, see where it's at, and then you can go and maybe play some more backyard football type of stuff instead of just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting when then some bad things can happen. Right, right. No, I don't think there's any doubt about that, John. That makes perfect sense. 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. We still have a couple open lines, folks. If you want to get in, we can take your calls. And don't forget, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant Games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Let's go to our buddy in Staten Island, in Rhode Island, pardon me. It's Jeff. Jeff, what's going on? Yeah, this is your buddy in Rhode Island, John. Hey, what's up, Jeff? Mm-hmm. Hi. How are you doing today, guys? Hey, I, uh, I had a question for you, uh, because I, and I'm only asking because uh, 
we made a significant investment in this guy, and uh, that would be Sam Beal. I was wondering uh, what's going on with him. We did see, Paul, him deflect a pass down the field in practice a couple days ago, right, if I remember right? Yes, he's now wearing number 34, by the way. Not, so, she was 23 before. Yeah, when you watch the Giants and Jets preseason game on the 14th and you get confused by number 34, it is Sam Beal. He is not Grant Haley. No, he is not. Uh, although yeah. he has played kind of like Grant Haley did at times uh, during uh, well, during camp. He's been very inconsistent, to be fair. He's been very inconsistent. Aside from that one PBU, I really haven't noticed him, to be quite honest with you, Paul. Correct, correct. And and he's not necessarily getting a ton of reps with the upper levels of the depth chart either. Okay, I understand that. Well, uh, fortunately for me, I'll be able to see the uh, last two uh, games they'll be on the NFL Network, so uh, I'll be anxious to see that. Well, again, so, Jeff, okay, I then, wanna, uh, Jeff, just like I said the other day to a yeah. caller, remember, the NFL Network will replay every preseason game that they don't oh, have yeah, at yeah, some yeah. point during yeah. the week, so make sure you look at your guide or however you do it and find that Giants game, because they will replay that Giants game at some point. It's probably going to be at like 3 a.m. on Monday morning, Tuesday yeah. night, or something yeah. like that. But yeah. it's there, no, so, so yeah. set your DVR up or VHS, whatever you're using, or you know DVD recorder, and make sure you get in there, and then you can watch the game a couple days later. Yeah, I know. You know, thank you uh, for reminding me of that, John. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. So, Or I think, NFL, I think NFL Game Pass gets the preseason games up there, too, in the full broadcast, too, if you want to subscribe to that, so. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm I'm trying to get the uh, the Sunday package so I can actually see all the Giants games this year. Because, actually, I'll tell you honestly, this is the best I felt about the team going into a season in probably uh, five or six years. So, yeah, I'm optimistic. Do we know, by the way, Paul? Uh, Jeff, thanks for the call, man. We appreciate it. What do you got? Do we know that if if Sunday tickets back on Directv this year, or or is that still up in the air? I thought Sunday Ticket went out uh, for bid and went somewhere else. So did I, but all these contracts are up after this season, though. So is this maybe the last year and then next year? Yeah, well, look, I'm, looking, I'm looking at DirecTV, and it's telling me right now, get every 2021 live out-of-market game with okay. Sunday Ticket on DirecTV. All right, so then it is still on DirecTV this year, then. It is this season. Which makes sense, but I, then it is open for bid after that. That was my question. I wasn't sure if it was changing or potentially changing this year or next. And it must be next because I'm seeing that same thing on DirecTV site that you can still yeah. get uh, Sunday ticket through them. So just doing a little advertising for the NFL. It never hurts. <laughs> 201 because, you know, they need publicity from me. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Eric in Florida, he's up next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's up, Eric? Hey, good morning. Uh, well, good afternoon, excuse me. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you. You guys you. are awesome. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, well, I love you guys. Welcome to being part of the show, I, I man. Thanks for listening. Bring up that, um, thank you. Hey, um, I just wanted to say I feel like the O-line is going to determine whether or not Daniel has that uh, breakout year uh, because I felt we had the same problem that we had with Eli. You know, there was a time when Eli was throwing the ball away, you know, a, a really bad time, and it really came down to the protection that he lacked did not have. Yeah, you want to go back, by the way, Eric? You make a great point. That's 2013, 2014, Mm -hmm. 2015. Those are the years you're talking about, and you're absolutely right. Sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. No, no, no worries. So I'm just saying I I feel it's the same situation with Daniel. I think as soon as we get an improvement in the line, we're going to see an improvement in Daniel, and uh, all the naysayers will finally see the light. Look, it'll help. And, uh, look, you need protection as a quarterback. 
You can't be thinking of what's going on in front of you. And I don't think Jones necessarily did that. But, and I will say this too, and Chris Sims talked about this, and it's something I've mentioned on the show before, Paul. We talked about it more early in the offseason back in February and March, where Chris Sims basically said, look, and this was without me even asking him. He brought this up on his own, and then I asked a follow-up about it on that Giants Huddle podcast episode. You guys should check it out. Where he goes, look, he, I, he really thought that Chris that last year Jason Garrett had to limit what he did. And he had to stay conservative, stay with running the ball on early downs and not, you know, do as much through the air with Jones because of, A, the skill positions around them weren't as good and there were some injuries there. Sterling Shepard early in the year. Slayton battled that injury throughout the year. And Sparkly getting hurt. And on top of that, you didn't really trust the offensive line to protect for long periods of time. So I do think, and this goes back to Paul's previous point, where his interceptions and turnovers went significantly down last year, and that's absolutely true. But I also think they partially went down because of the way they used Daniel Jones and the way the offense operated, and I think that was in a lot of ways by design. So I do want to keep an eye on this year. If they do throw it a little bit more and they do do a little more early down stuff, some more seven-step drops, let him sit back there and read the defense and be a little bit more aggressive, can he maintain that lower level of turnovers, right? Because you want to increase your production, increase your explosive plays, but at the same time keep those turnovers and negative plays down. So that to me is the big guide this year. Because I think one of the reasons his overall numbers are down last year is because the way the offense was run, which was dictated by personnel, which is exactly how you're supposed to do things if you're a coach, by the way, his numbers were deflated because of that. So I think maybe his turnovers might have been a little deflated by that too. I think they kind of worked in tandem. So if you do a little bit more this year because the weapons are better, because your offensive line's a little bit better, does that, in effect, give you more opportunities to have those type of turnovers? And if Jones can keep those turnovers down, even while being asked to do a little bit more in the offense, being a little bit more aggressive, that would be a really, really good sign. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he did better at the end of part of the year when the O-line was doing better as well. So I think we're going to see a huge difference. Super excited for this season. Absolutely. Appreciate the call, man. Thank you so much, John. Welcome back. Welcome to the show. Uh, Eric, pardon me. Thank you for listening for so long, and now thank you for calling in. You know, John, one of the things uh, that you were talking about in terms of the scheme and the design and what they were asking uh, Daniel Jones to do, I think it's also very important to realize that the arrow on him went up. It didn't stay the same, and it didn't go down. He played his best football the last month and a half of the season, especially after he got over that ankle situation when he had had that sprained ankle, missed the game against Seattle. Then he came back against Arizona, played on a gimpy ankle. Obviously, it bothered him. He did not look good, probably should not have played that game. I think Joe Judge actually feels that way today in retrospect. But when it was all on the line, I don't care what their record was at that point, the Giants were in basically a do-or-die situation every single Sunday the second half of the season to try to stay in the race of the mediocre NFC East. And that's where Daniel Jones played his best football. And I don't think that is a small thing at all. Well, I, I mean, think it's actually important. There's only two games in there you're talking about then, right? Well, he missed the Seattle game and the Arizona game. And the Cleveland when, game. Well, yeah, yeah. So you're looking at two games, right? Yeah. And he was okay against Baltimore. He wasn't, I mean, he was fine. 24-41 for 252, one touchdown, but they were down big, so a lot of that came in the second half when the game was kind of over already. 
But he was good against Dallas, that's for sure. 17-25, 229, a couple of touchdowns. Well, that was the last game of the year, right. which was a do-or-die game, the most important pressure-packed game he's played in his career. Absolutely. But and, also, he, and he showed up. Also against the terrible defense. But, yes, 100%. You can't take that away. Yeah, One, but, what, what, 106.9 quarterback rating, 9.16 yards per attempt, played a very good game against Dallas, no doubt about it. Right, right. So, you know, he, he did what he had to do to beat uh, Washington in Week 9. Beat Philadelphia at home. In fact, throttled Philadelphia 21 out of 28 for 244, even though he got sacked three times in that game. No, he was very good against Philly. That's outstanding. It was one of his best games of the year. Absolutely. Managed the game against Cincinnati. Okay. Didn't make any mistakes. Did exactly what he had to do to manage that game and win it. Then, Then, as you said to me, remember, he got hurt in that game. Missed the Seattle game, played ill-advised in the Arizona game, missed the Cleveland game, and then, as you said, the last two games against Baltimore and Dallas. Uh, no shame in having a difficult game against the Ravens, oh, who sacked not. them six times. No, for sure. No, no, no. I, I'm not. I'm not saying he was like. I'm not take, taking shots at him for the Baltimore game. My point is that it was just a pretty small sample, right? When you get to the very, very end of the year against Baltimore and Dallas, if you want to include Philly and Cincinnati, that. That's a different conversation. Oh, he, he had to win those games, didn't nope. he? Absolutely. No question. And he did. Nope, and he did. God knows beating the Eagles is not something that's been done a lot around here in the last decade. Especially not in Philly. <laughs> well, that game was here. Oh, you're right. You're right. Right. That game. Yeah. They were in Philly a few weeks before. Yeah. Which and the, yeah, and right. by the way, Daniel Jones had them in position to win that game, too, even though he had that, that uh, turf monster get him early in the third quarter. What was the interception in that game? I'm trying to remember. I'm I'm forgetting the pick now, yeah, but I either. do I do remember the uh, the drop pass in the final couple of minutes of that game, which which would have changed the know, result in theory. He did everything he had to do to get that team a victory that night, and it didn't happen. No, I'm with you. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. But again, to Paul's point, lot to prove this year. You feel good about it. Some of the stuff that happened in the last year it makes you a little bit more optimistic. But there's still a lot to go out there and show that he can fulfill some of that potential that everyone thinks that he has, right? So that's why this is such an important year for him and the team. And it's unfortunate, the first two games, I wish, you know, the second straight year, you're starting the season against two really good defenses in Denver and Washington. I know. Those are, those are not the best two teams to start <laughs> no. your season against. No, not at all. And, I, you know, after last year, you know, we basically stressed, and by the way, ended up being exactly right. They played four really good defenses to start the year. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, Chicago, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. That was not an easy ride, and it showed in, in – his numbers and how the team played and did not, really, frankly, score. They scored 16, 13, 9, and 9 in those mm-hmm. four games. Not great, Bob. So the first two games this year, it's a little bit rough. Then it gets a little bit easier. You get Atlanta in there, Dallas. The Saints are pretty good, but they're not great. So you'll get a better feel earlier in the year, though. Those first two games, folks, those, those could be really drag them out, low scoring, both teams score in the high teens type of drag him out affair. So we'll Easily see how that could goes. Be. No question. 201-939-4513. Now we have a full bank of calls. We have three guys in the line. Nice. We will get to all three of you before we say goodbye for the next 10 minutes. Dan in Manhattan was on the longest pier. So let's go to Dan first. Dan, what's up? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Hi. Hi. Just a uh, first-time caller, long-time listener. Just Thank you. Just wanted to get your, uh, your opinion on something. Sure. So I've been a Giants fan my whole life. Uh... I would say this August and the last five August is the first time I felt, hey, like the Giants can actually like win the opening game. Every year we're matched up against Dallas at Dallas. Last year Pittsburgh kind of went into it knowing we were going to get smacked. But this year I feel like the Broncos. I know they have a great defense, but I feel like 
the Giants. I'm an optimistic Giants fan, you know. Like, I don't, I don't hate the offensive line. I think Matt Pert, actually one of my bold predictions to you guys is Matt Pert, his first, his first Pro Bowl. He's going to be selected to his first Pro Bowl this year. At right tackle, he's going to be our starter. All right, I'll write that uh, one down for you. Just wondering what you guys, uh, what your guys' opinion is on that and starting the season at least one and out. Well, I think the the only thing that I would warn you of is that if those Giants tackles uh, show their inexperience early on in that first game, Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, they're not bad. Um, they'll take advantage. <laughs> And they and they have a great secondary in Denver too. Like, they do. Literally, they might have the best secondary in football. It's legitimately awesome. I mean, I think the Giants are a top five secondary, but I'm telling you, the Broncos are in there. Oh, <laughs> they're in there. They're very, very good. And, and they added somebody. Uh, they, uh, did they draft Patrick Sertan? Sertan. They did. They right? sure did. Whew. They sure did. So I mean, let's just say this: out of the box, the two young tackles. If it is going to be Thomas and Parrott. They will get tested immediately, but I feel better about them today than I did going into the Steelers game oh, last well, year. Oh, you have to. They're not rookies anymore. Exactly. Of course you do. And by the way, just just so we're on the same page, I agree. Uh, this is a game the Giants certainly can win. I don't think it's an easy game by any means, but they're at home. So that's a game you expect to win against a team that was not a playoff team last year. And based on what I'm seeing, the game's basically a pick'em game at this point, if you look at the various things that are out there. So... Yes, it's certainly a game that they should have a good chance of winning, and they're not going to be significant underdogs in that game, barring any, of course, injuries between now and then. I'll say this, John. If the Giants are going to win 10 or 11 games and win this division, this is one of those games you've got to get. Uh, 100%. Yes, I'm with you on that. If they lose at home against Denver to start the year, it's going to make it much harder to get to 10 or 11. 100% agree. That's all we got. Thanks for the call, bud. Welcome back. Thank you. By the way, I love the fact that a lot of these people that have listened for a long time are now finally designed to call up and talk to us, that makes me very happy. Well, it makes us, makes us feel loved as opposed to lonely. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like hearing different voices. And you guys always have good questions, so feel free to call in. And by the way, I'll just make a point. When we have open lines, I'll tell you. Because I know a lot of people are probably like, oh, I'm going to have to stay on hold. It's busy. I can't get through. So if we have an open line or two, I'll let you know, and then you can get in and we can chat. Brian in Virginia is up next on line two. Brian, what's up? How you doing, guys? John, that's exactly the reason why I called. Excellent. <laughs> you told me the lines were open. Great. So I called. Uh, it's been like two years since I called. Good to speak to you guys, John Abali. Um, yes, sir. I'm in Washington. I'm in Washington country, and you just won't believe the delusion that is uh, coming from the radio and from the media. Um, these these uh, media pundits are just writing teams in. Writing wins in for the, even I mean even for the Giants or the, or, or Washington or Dallas or even Philly you can't just write these teams in because uh, I, I think all these teams have something to prove. Um, well, and, Brian, and, just look at last year. Going into last season, we sat here for nine months from January to, to late August, and what did we say? Boy, you know. We really think that Philly and Dallas are in a class by themselves to win this division. You know, Washington doesn't have much of a chance. The Giants, you know, maybe if they get hot, they can do something. And what happens? The team with the worst record is Philly. The team with the third worst record is <laughs> second worst record is Dallas. And then Washington finished in first. So nobody should ever write anybody into anything when it comes to the NFC East. You're absolutely right. You know, Brian, I will mention one thing to you, though. You know, in my other role as a beep guy with WFAN, 
we are we are producing an NFC East show every week, and I have to be on with a host of sports radio in Washington, Dallas, and Philadelphia. Obviously, it's a four-way deal to uh, to work with the NFC East. And we taped our first show yesterday. And do you know that all three of the other guys on the program continued to, you know, fire flaming arrows into my chest, insisting well, that Dan- Daniel Jones is him. horrible, can't play, is a turnover machine, Jason Garrett can't call plays, Saquon Barkley is hurt, and oh yeah, the Giants, they have no chance. All three guys really? insisted the Giants are under seven wins, which is what some of the experts out west are posting on websites that seven is the Giants over under. All three were just berating me, insisting that they were under seven. And when I told them the Giants will win double digits and win the division, they were just like aghast. Well, it's, you know, it's too bad. I'm sorry they just don't understand football. Sounds like that's going to be a really interesting show. It's going to be one hell. Of, it's going to be one hell of a year. I'll tell you that. It's going to be one hell of a year. But people have been beating up on the Giants now for most of the last decade, and justifiable. The team hasn't put much of a winning product on the field. But the problem is perception then becomes reality to those people who throw stones, and now the Giants have to change that perception. I agree one hundred percent. And it's it's just too it's very hard to win games in the NFL. Um, granted, talent makes a huge difference. But at the end of the day, it, it takes the mentality to win these games, and especially close games. And we were in a lot of those games. And one thing that the coaching staff has been preaching is competitiveness. And um, so I agree um, with what you're saying. Like I said, all these teams have something to prove. And one thing that the experts have proven is that no one's an expert. And so I I have. You know, we all have our expectations for our team. and um, But I just believe with just the mentality that's being drilled into this team, I think we'll be uh, very competitive. But I'm not saying we're going to win 10, 11 games. I sure hope we do. But um, I just know that we're trending in the right direction because of what's being preached every day from this coaching staff. Appreciate the call, Brian. Good stuff, man. And welcome to the show. Excellent. Excellent. Look, that, that's, that's the beauty of the NFL, though, right? You just don't know. You just don't know year to year what, what exactly is going to happen. Can I make one bold prediction that kind of refers to our caller, John? Yes, yeah, sure. He's, he's saying he's calling from Washington. I don't think it's out of the question that by the end of the season, especially if Saquon Barkley uh, is limited early on, that uh, Antonio Gibson could wind up the running back with the most yards from scrimmage in the division by the end of the year. Yards from scrimmage is possible because he's going to catch so many passes, and I think Pollard's going to take too big of Elliott's stuff, right, because he's going to get – Mm-hmm. catches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's fair. I actually agree with that, I think. The Washington does like moving guys in and out, too. It all depends how much Gibson gets um, taken out of the game for some rest here or there. That is true, but he, quite an athlete and very good oh, yeah. at yards after contact. No, very, very good player. All right, let's wrap up the show at 201-939-4513, and we will go to Rick in Tampa to wrap us up. What's up, Rick? Hey, guys. You know, I, I need a little bit of love I've, for these last two weeks been listening a little bit to the show, but I've been uh, at COVID-19, and I'm just Ugh. getting foot now, and it's been so tough, man. And you know me, I'm calling all the time. Are you so, feeling better, so, though? You're doing okay? A little a little bit. That's why I, I could actually call. I didn't want to talk. I mean, I mean oh so my. it's like now. You didn't well, have God, to go God bless yeah, you, my man. You didn't God have to bless go, you. You didn't have to go into the hospital or anything, did you? 
No, I didn't. You know, that was a good thing. Good. I didn't have any breathing issues or anything. Just the total, oh, it's just shut down. Speed of recovery to you, my friend. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just getting a little bit better now. And I and obviously I've been sitting here on the couch most of the weeks looking at the the training cap live and all that stuff for NFL and watching the Giants and uh, listening to you guys too a little bit. But I have a couple of quick, real quick quick things. Uh, one is that it did say that uh, I guess uh, 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 geez, uh, our, our running back is Saquon's going to be back the third game. They announced that today. So Nobody announced um, anything. There was a report on NFL Network by Ian Rappaport uh, that indicated such a story. But Joe Judge has been extremely vocal and animate. Oh, I didn't even see that report, Paul. What did he report? Yeah, that came out yeah, earlier this afternoon. He, he was saying that yeah. potentially for week three as Saquon's return. Really? But, but again, yeah. that's, you know, that's a, a network source. We have seen Saquon Barkley working out on the backfield with the trainers individually, uh, and we have talked almost every day. The writers ask about Barkley to Joe Judge, and the coach is very, very, very direct when he says there is no timetable. Uh, he said, I get a weekly progress report, and we do know that from the trainers, which Judge does talk to on a daily basis, that there is improvement, but they basically work in a week-to-week plan for him as to what they want him to do. And how he responds determines how the following week's plan is going to be laid out. So nobody, and I mean nobody, if you're to believe the coach word for word, nobody truly knows today exactly what they say Quan Barkley is going to get back on the practice field, which of course then directly impacts when he's going to get into a game. Well, Paul, by the way, just for context, by the way, I have the report here. I'm going to play it just so people hear it and just saying we're not confirming any of this, but this is what was reported by Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, on Good Morning Football this morning. Pearson, bring a prod for me real quick. I'm going to play this off of Twitter and pray it works. Here we go. Here's Ian Rappaport on Good Morning Football. Well, we'll start with Saquon. It really does seem like he's done exceptionally well in his rehab. You know, there was definitely a point in this offseason where it sounded like week one was just not going to happen. You wondered, was he going to start the regular season on the pup list and just play week seven? Based on how Saquon's rehab is going, the Giants are past that. No one is saying for sure now that he's going to be on the field week one. No one is going to guarantee that, nor should they. My understanding of where Saquon is as he recovers from that serious, serious knee injury is that you'll probably see him anywhere from week one to week three. So probably by week three, Saquon Barkley should be on the field. Obviously, you'd like him, I guess, on the field week one, but this is a long-term play. No one, no one is going to rush Saquon on the field, nor should they. As far as Kenny got. And, oh, Kenny Galladay here, too. A bit of a different situation. He's got just a minor hamstring pull, uh, but they're going to be cautious with him, too. My understanding is he's probably going to be out two to three weeks, so we'll see if he does get maybe one preseason game in with the Giants before the regular season. All right, and there's Ian Rappaport. That was the report. Again, we're not endorsing it, saying it's correct, but he's NFL family, right, Paul? So I figured I might as well play the report so people heard it. All right, look, I, I would only tell you, Rick, that I've been saying now for months don't expect Barkley to be a full go at the beginning of the season. And I'm not a doctor. I'm just using logic based on what we know of players who have had similar injuries and surgeries to him. And, you know, as we've gone on and he's done his stuff with the trainers, 
Um, you know, I, I'm just trying to warn people to be very, very slow in their expectations. And I've said all along, don't be shocked if he doesn't play the first week or if he does, he's on a pitch count. I, I think to think that he's going to play all 17 games at full throttle, touching the ball 25 times a week, I just don't see how that makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. That's why I was just funny because I saw that this morning and I figured, hey, that's – all right, so that sets a game plan in, in play and everything, but I guess not. Hey, real quick, Nate Solder, is he – how's he doing on the offensive line? Is he is he in the mix or what? Has he been out there? No, I mean, I mean look, they've been, they've been rotating Andrew Thomas in and out of left tackle just because of his offseason ankle surgery. Joe George talked about that the other day. So we've seen Solder with the first team at both right tackle and left tackle at different times during practice. Yep. He's been, he's been out there and he's doing everything he wants, he wants to do. I mean, And he's he also feels- been with the twos, by the way. Yeah. So he, he's been using a bunch of different spots. He says he's refreshed, and Joe Judge seems very pleased to have him back. Okay, good. All right, good. Well, listen, you guys, I look forward to talking to you down the road. So, keep Please up be well, work, Rick. Man. Yeah, Rick, feel better, man. Good to hear your voice. I'm happy that, that you're starting to do a little bit better. And uh, sorry that you're going through that. That, that kind of stinks. Paul, good stuff, my friend. Excellent show. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, John. I can't wait to get to that game on the 14th against the Jets. But, uh, hey, you know what? I'm just going to have to wait a little while. Enjoy your weekend. We'll recap everything that happened at Saturday's practice on Monday's show. Sunday's an off day for the team. But Big Blue Kickoff Live. Oh, I should mention it, Paul. Next week our shows are at 11 a.m. because practice is a little bit later in the day. So BBK is earlier next week at 11 a.m. So that'll mess up everybody a little bit more in terms of when the show's going to be. And we'll be at 11 a.m. for two straight weeks. After that, we're waiting for our practice schedule up in New England to figure out when we're going to do the show that week. So we'll find out. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmuck. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you on Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live.